Welcome back to Axis Parada, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, a big battle over abandoned mergers and robot dogs join the fight against COVID-19. But first, America's growing unemployment mess. So this morning, the U.S. Labor Department reported that another 4.4 million Americans filed for unemployment benefits. 4.4 million. And for context, that's almost the equivalent of every single person who works in New York City losing their job. Now, overall, this means that more than 26 million Americans have filed jobless claims since the pandemic began, more than wiping out all the job gains, not just during President Trump's time in office, but since the entire country emerged from the financial crisis. The biggest surges last week were in California, Florida, Texas, and Georgia, but this really isn't regional, and not even trillions of dollars in stimulus seem able to stem the losses. Now, some have pointed to China as a beacon of hope in terms of some of its job rebounds as it's reopened its economy. But as Axios' Dion Rabowin reports this morning, the Chinese and U.S. job markets are very different, particularly given our reliance on service sector jobs that are dependent on U.S. consumers buying again and often doing so in person. Plus, China's lockdown was much more geographically isolated, whereas ours is nearly nationwide. The bottom line, this is very, very bad and likely to get worse before it gets better. So let's go deeper now with Jim Tankersley, an economics and tax policy reporter with the New York Times. So Jim, let's just start big picture here. You see this morning's jobless claims number and report, and your initial gut reaction is what? My initial reaction is it's still very bad. It's still very, very bad out there. The worst is not behind us. While we've crested, it looks like maybe on the number of new unemployment claims per week, we're still in the millions every week, and that is almost unfathomable, but here we are. We are doing numbers that would have been records by orders of magnitude in previous years. So Jim, state unemployment offices have been swamped with unemployment claims, obviously, uh, sometimes jamming up phone lines and delaying folks from filing. Do we know if that is still happening and either way, if it has created a lag on the weekly numbers? Yeah, I think that definitely they still are. States like Florida have really had big problems and I think they're continuing to struggle, but some of the backlog is starting to get through. I think anecdotally, I heard that maybe Connecticut is starting to have some success in getting people processed and that that's partly why we're seeing, you know, big numbers continue. So, I mean, that's part of it. For unemployed Americans, it's very frustrating. You're stuck in a line waiting to get benefits that have been promised to you for weeks at a time. But from a number standpoint, it also means that we're going to keep seeing bad stuff for a while. How does the idea of people being furloughed work into this? Am I correct in saying in some states, those people get included and in some states they don't? In other words, is the number actually worse if, if you consider somebody who's furloughed effectively unemployed just happening to be qualified for COBRA? People who have been furloughed and have been knocked out of their jobs entirely for that, even if they're still attached to their employer that way, they're unemployed. And so they're getting benefits. So the numbers probably are actually worse than we're seeing, but it's more because there's just, again, that backlog and everything that's going on right now still in terms of getting people through the system. But if you're furloughed, you should be able to get unemployment benefits. We've got hundreds of billions of dollars that have gone into the PPP program already. Maybe most of it's been dispersed, maybe not quite dispersed. But the idea of PPP was to keep people off of unemployment, was to keep them on payrolls. From your perspective, do these numbers suggest that PPP hasn't worked 
or that it has worked. It's just the problem was much bigger than PPP was funded to fix. I think it's the latter. I, I think it's too soon to say that it hasn't worked at all. There are certainly reports of companies that have taken the money and not yet begun to bring people back onto payrolls. And remember, they've got time to do that. If they've already laid off workers, they can rehire them in time to have the loan be forgiven. But yeah, I mean, this is just a very, very deep hole. And we've poured a small amount, relatively speaking, of dirt into it. I don't think it's a big surprise that we still have millions of people entering the unemployment ranks every day. Congress knew this was a more than trillion dollar hole in small business balance sheets, even over a couple of months. They were warned of that by economists before they passed the program. They didn't put enough money in the program. Why do you think they didn't the first time around? As you say, Congress knew, you're right. Lots of people were writing and saying before the original CARES Act passed, that's not going to be enough money. That's not going to cut it. Why then do you think they didn't deal with it up front as opposed to now coming to try to fill it back in? Congress is really bad at doing things up front, even when it's responding to crises. It's also really bad at really big numbers. And there was some sense that they didn't want to do like a $3 trillion bill when they did that, the bill that created PPP. But I actually don't know. I've been asking people this question a lot. And the answer was sort of like, well, nobody made it a like a red line. Neither Republicans nor Democrats said, hey, we're not voting for this bill until you have all the money we need for small business for two months. And so it just sort of slid all the way through. Jim, you know, when we talk about PPP, that's obviously for private businesses, but lots and lots of people work in the public sector and you are now seeing major state and local budget crunches and people starting to get laid off at the state municipal level. Are those layoffs and furloughs starting to be reflected yet in the numbers? Or do you think that's the big wave of that is going to come next, particularly given that there wasn't new money for states and local governments in the interim coronavirus stimulus plan? I think we'll see more of that in future reports, I think. And you're absolutely right. You know, states and local governments can't essentially borrow money in the way that uh, the federal government can at an unlimited basis in order to patch budget holes with less to do. They have to do cuts like that. And we're going to see, we saw it in the last recession, we will see it in this one unless there is a large amount of federal aid, which is layoffs for school teachers, for police officers, for anybody who works in the public sector. And yeah, those will start to show up in the statistics and they will make it harder to recover whenever this is over from recession, because that's just a larger number of people without spending power who can't turn around and regenerate economic activity. On you know, Jim, we've mostly been talking about stuff that, that the federal government's been doing in terms of uh, giving money to various places. There's obviously been stuff that the Federal Reserve has done on, on the lending side. You cover tax policy, too. From a tax policy perspective, outside of the fact that, you know, that the filing deadlines got moved back, is there any short-term fix might be overstating it, but uh, help, Band-Aid, that you think the federal government could be doing right now from a tax policy to help stave off future unemployment claims? Well, you know, there are some interesting ideas kicking around out there around, you know, tax credits for companies to keep people on their payroll, essentially sort of a way to use the tax system to allow what the goal of PPP was, which was basically like, let the government take over and pay your costs for you for a while. They're being discussed. It's hard for me to imagine that they're going to sort of change gears in the midst of this crisis and go with that type of approach versus a PPP approach. But it's also unclear what they're going to do going ahead. I mean, two months is not going to be long enough. I think anybody who is observing the economy right now understands that we're not going to get back to normal in two months. And so there will be this big question of how you sustain all these businesses and workers going forward. And then maybe tax stuff does start to come into play. I mean, I can tell you there are a lot of things that have been kicked around that probably you know, a lot of economists say won't necessarily help very much. A big payroll tax suspension is unlikely to get employers to keep people on their payroll if they've got nothing to do with them. But yeah, I, I think that the tax discussions could start being more of a factor looking forward. Jim Tankersley of the New York Times, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. My final two right after this. 
Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to Get Smarter Faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is news that private equity firm Sycamore Partners is trying to walk away from its $525 million deal to buy a majority stake in retailer Victoria's Secret. Now, why Sycamore wants out is pretty obvious. Uh, Victoria's Secret has closed most of its 1,600 stores, furloughed almost all of its workers, and has a very cloudy future. Even when America quote unquote reopens, it's unclear if consumers will return to indoor malls, let alone be willing to try on apparel that somebody else might've tried on before them. But L Brands, which currently owns Victoria's Secret, isn't just letting this one go. It plans to fight it out in court, setting up a legal battle that we're likely to see replicated elsewhere. The basic issue is that most merger agreements, including this one, have conflicting language as applied to the current mess, probably because no one really anticipated the current mess. On one hand, Sycamore correctly claims that L Brands was supposed to operate Victoria's Secret as, quote, business as usual, which would mean keeping stores open, among other things. On the other hand, L Brands included language that the deal couldn't be terminated because of either a pandemic or a police action, the latter of which could certainly be interpreted to include lockdowns. So we will keep a close eye on this as it could become precedent. And finally, you've probably seen those robot dogs created by Boston Dynamics, uh, the ones that can do flips and open doors. And if not, just go to YouTube. It'll either fascinate you or terrify you or both. Anyway, it seems these dogs now have a use case helping doctors treat COVID-19 patients. Boston Dynamics announced yesterday that it has deployed some of these robots, named Spot, to Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, where they're basically being turned into telemedicine helpers with iPads mounted on their heads so that doctors can interact with patients remotely to decrease the chance of viral spread. I guess this brings a new meaning to man's best friend. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven, have a great national Bring Your Kids to Work Day. And since that has become every day now, we'll be right back Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.